Jack O'Connor said, don't ever read a paper. You're kind of thinking, why did he say that? Or what did he mean by that? Or does he rate him higher than me? It opens up something that you do not want opened. You the only have to be thing intercounty players should be looking at or listening to is the football podcast. <laughs> Wherever you get your podcasts. Hurling on Off The Ball. With Board Gosh Energy. Proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship. You are very welcome back. It is time for us to chat hurling. A remarkable weekend just gone by. Limerick suffering their first championship defeat since the 2019 All-Ireland semi-final. It is a run that stretched back over 17 games with Clare pipping them by a point at the Gaelic grounds on Saturday night. It has blown the Munster Championship wide open and Limerick now, perhaps for the first time in that four-year spell, look a little bit mortal. Uh, elsewhere, Declan McLaughlin scoring his uh, championship start, I'm going to say, crucial equalising point for Galway in terms of them fighting it out for a Leinster final place that was in Nolan Park where Galway and Kilkenny played out a draw on the repeat of the provincial final there and Waterford manager Davey Fitzgerald saying after the game they were beaten all over the field against Cork a very disappointing defeat for the Dacia who are now 0 from 2 after their first two games delighted to say I'm joined by nine time All-Ireland winner Tommy Walsh Tommy how are you getting on? Yeah good evening Will you were at the Gaelic grounds for what was a cracker of a game between Clare and Limerick on Saturday night I think, crucially, it was Clare's work rate that probably made the difference. And that little bit of quality they had down the stretch, that four-point run uh, that they pulled off in the closing stage of the game, when it was in the balance. Um, all that coming together, for Clare to get what feels like a crucial win, given how close they fought against Limerick last year. Yeah, well, I was lucky enough to be down there Saturday night. Um, we used to buy CDs as young fellas. Now, that's what I call music. Well, now, that's what I call a championship match. It had everything. Well, um, just atmosphere. It was a Saturday night of a bank holiday. It was a derby game. Like I often said about a derby game, like if you think you can run fast, if, if there was a line running after you, you'd see how fast you could run. Well, it's the same with a derby game. You think you're working hard, go into a derby game, you'll work 10 times harder. And that's it had that. And it had stars all over the field. So it was brilliant players everywhere, both Limerick and Clare. And I think it was all summed up in the end by John Conlon's interview. The excitement in his voice, the excitement in his face, his brother's wedding, he was the best man and he was talking about how to be such an almighty roar back in the hotel and I'd say they lifted the roof off it and um, we were in the Mackey stand and the roof was nearly lifted off the Mackey stand too but an epic, epic game. The real question mark I had about that wedding, Tommy, was how could his brother have actually organised the wedding for the second weekend of championship when they knew from a long time out they were going to be playing against Limerick at the Gaelic ground. So this wasn't an unknown and he decided to have the wedding. And for those at the wedding party, I believe they were all clambered around one TV, that a big 65-inch TV in the middle of the reception. Um, I think he definitely booked that wedding for the wrong weekend. <laughs> well, I think he knows what all married men know is the wife's call the wife calls the shots and I think that's what happened in this instance. Well, calling the shots on the night. Conlon himself, we can talk about his performance from uh, centre-half back. He's one of those remarkable repurposed players. And I remember uh, when he was a key forward for the Clare team, but now he's become such an anchor for the defence from the number six position. thought he was great at the weekend. Yeah, he was outstanding. Um I always thought, especially underage and grow up through the ranks, your best player is nearly always number six or number 11. And um, if the number six is going well, he's able to direct the, the way the game is going. We see that with Limerick, I suppose, Declan Hannan. We see with various All-Ireland champions over the year. Number six is such a huge player. And Condon is a ball player. And you have to be because you get so many short puck outs. You're bringing the ball up through the lines. If your number six is, is on as much ball as Condon, 
well then you're 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 guaranteed that you're you're onto a winner. And there was heroes all over the place, Will. Like looking back at the game, probably the reason it was so good is there were so many great players. Like, you know, um Ever Quilligan on the goal, you know, back in after being dropped, first few minutes saves a point blank save from Seamus Flanagan. Um just remarkable. Um up the, the field in Conor Cleary's what a battle he had with Galan. Like a physical, physical battle. Galan is nearly the, the go to forward in hurling at the moment and clearly put it up to him. You know, this is a guy that plays football with Mil- Milton Malvey. His brother is the captain of the footballers. Like, he probably had to make a decision a few years ago, hurling or football. And I'd say Saturday night, by God, was he happy. And all over the field, Tony Kelly, David McInerney, dear my right in the half-back line. You know, up front then, you have substitutes coming on, playing brilliant and just, you know, outstanding. You know, David Fitzgerald on, on Kyle Hayes. Like, you know, Kyle Hayes is bursting forward game after game if they watch him he had a great second half himself Kyle Hayes but he had to look after David Fitzgerald as well and that was a great battle so yeah Conlon was a star and it stars all over the field Yeah I mean the work rate by their forwards is remarkable no plan BGA sent me the stats about the turnovers for the game earlier today and he's got Shane O'Donnell down for uh, three turnovers David McInerney getting three uh, Ryan Taylor coming in with three as well Tony Kelly with two and there was a ferocity about the work rate of that Clare forward line it was always going to be required against this Limerick team who you know get so much from their defenders coming out with the ball uh, but being able to win back ball like that and win back the amount that they did on the the Limerick puck out makes a huge difference if you're going to stop them from playing Yeah all the great managers all the great coaches they know that to win championships you have to be able to defend well you go back to Johan Cruyff defending starts with your centre forward you go back to all the modern managers Brian Cody Jim Gavin the, the, forward, or the defending starts with number 15 and that was never more as evident as in the Gaelic Crowns last Saturday night Shane O'Donnell he only came into the game as the game was going on but off the ball, he was tracking back. He was dispossessing. He was just stopping up the, the, the Limerick runs. And that was just a sign. Like, he's not a big man, Shane O'Donnell. It was only, what, 10 years ago, he was the hat-trick hero of modern final. Went off to Harvard. He went off and got concussed. Probably asked himself, would he ever play the game again? Comes back into that game Saturday night. And what important, you know, not on the scoreboard, but off the scoreboard, he was so vital. Winning that dirty ball, stopping the Limerick players, you know, playing around with the ball, which they're so brilliant after. Their defenders are as good as their forwards. And um, I think that's probably what won it for him Saturday night, that they just could not, Limerick could not get quality ball into the full forward line to Galan and Flanagan. And you have to remember as well, off the camera Saturday night, Limerick went man to man, or Clare went man to man. So it was huge acres of space in there for Flanagan and Galan. There was probably 40, 50 metres of space, but they didn't get good ball in for the majority of the time. Yeah, you could see that in the second half particularly. Like That's a very brave way to play because there were oceans of space in the corners for either Galan or Flanagan. If, say, a counter-attack was to happen, they could easily have split them apart if they got good ball in. Uh, but Clare seemed to be quite good at recovering if they lost the ball and getting into decent defensive positions so that that wasn't an issue. It was, and even if you go back to the, the last sideline, the one Tony Kelly had the ball and put out over the line, for that sideline, and you, you can see how far players can hit a sideline now, there was no player, say there was two players, Galan and Flanagan, with, their, with, with both their markers inside the 65-yard line. It was the most riskiest strategy I've ever seen, but, you know, you have to be brave in these instances. We've seen Limerick before. If you give the ball to them at their full-back line, They'll work that ball up and put the ball... Hegarty or Morrissey being putting the ball back over the bar. So they got their tactics right. There was high risk, but they did well. And I suppose fortune favours the brave. And they're probably... 
the one thing to look at this is I was looking at the clear team before the game and I didn't realise they were as good. Like they're like, like this was before looking at the game because I missed the, the Clare and Tipperary game because I was in Turles for the, the Limerick and Waterford game. And um I couldn't get over the strength of the the Clare forwards. You know, you have Peter Duggan, Shane O'Donnell, you have Rogers in the corner, and he had a brilliant game as a corner forward, Tony Kelly, Dave Fitzgerald. Like they have great forwards. I wonder if Limerick regress because every time they play against Clare they don't put a designated man marker or a second man onto Tony Kelly it's not the way that Limerick play but I wonder if they regret not trying to put a closer shackle onto him at the weekend Yeah you see you don't try and fix something that's not broken I know they drew with them three times over the last year but they still beat them every you know every time that it came down to a winner takes all so I think the way they looked at it was it's not about individuals, it's about winning as a team. And I, I would imagine their thought process was that, right, Tony Kelly might score six or seven points from play here, but as a team, we're not leaking in any space so that there's huge goal chances. We're not letting two or three other players come away with three and four points apiece that, okay, one man is doing the damage, but as a unit, we're defending very, very well. And you would imagine that was the, the thought process uh, um, behind that. But you'd have to say, Will, like Tony Kelly it was very important in the first probably 15 minutes, very important in the last 15 minutes. But there was no way a one-man show. And um, there were so many other clear midfielders and forwards that they had to look at. Yeah, I know. I think Dave Fisher coming back into the team was a, a transformation from the week before as well. When it comes to Limerick, look, I'm delighted to say for your Kilkenny team, it's going to take at least five more years if your 21-game unbeaten streak is going to be ended. Uh, Limerick stopped at 17. What's your assessment of where Limerick are at now? Because you know, afterwards, John Kiley was monogamous in defeat. He said, look, um, we've lost to a very good Clare team here. We need to go away for a couple of weeks now, heal up some of these injuries and talk about maybe some of the things that didn't work out well and we have to concentrate on our last two games. But how much of a blow is this to Limerick to have suffered that first championship defeat in four years? Yeah, it depends on what way you look at it or who's looking at it. Um, First of all, records, they wouldn't care about records. The only records they want to see is an All-Ireland final or an All-Ireland medal in their back pocket, Will. Um, what I would think is, from a Limerick point of view, you're thinking this is a great thing now for us, right? The pressure will now come off us. We can go away and train in peace. There'll be no more talk of maybe five in a row, six in a row, seven in a row. They'll now, be starting, they'll now start to talk about our competition and all the focus won't be on how, I suppose, unbeatable we look. So I think it'll bring them back down to earth. He'll be able to refocus his stars. And um, that's the way Limerick will look at. But for the rest of the country, you will probably look at the glasses half full too. Lads, they've been beaten. And now they can be beaten again. So their opposition will now train harder, work harder. When the game is in the Milton Pot with five, ten minutes to go, like it was three times last summer, the Munster final, the All-Ireland semi-final, the All-Ireland final, but nobody beat Limerick. Mm. This year we've seen down the home street some beating them. So they might say to themselves with 10 minutes to go, lads, we can do it. Like we saw Watford last week when it came down the home straight, probably just that lack of experience of winning against Limerick stopped them getting over the line near the end because they had the chances. Towards now, maybe when you're playing Limerick going forward, you might say, do you know what? Cleared on it. Maybe today we can do it as well. And on the opposite of that, they'll be looking at maybe from the Limerick psychology, now they've been beaten coming down the home straight. Suddenly they might be asking questions of themselves. We lost during the, the league, the Munster League to Clare in a big, you know, heavy hitting game. We, we can lose this again and suddenly the pressure is on, the, ner the nerves come at you that bit more. So it depends on what way you look at. John Kiley will try to use it. 
as a you know a, a turn or a, maybe a starting point again for their season and the opposition will look at it as a starting point for them yeah, look, I think psychologically it has that impact because you look at the way they came back against Tipperary in the Munster final when they found themselves so far behind and even in the league semi-final this year against Tipperary where they were pushed to the pin of their collar in the first half and they put in this immaculate uh, second-half performance. Galway, Kilkenny have rattled them a few times in recent years but Limerick are still able to get the result uh, even in those close games. That opens up that hope for everyone else. When it comes to, and I'm, I'm not for a minute uh, arguing the Limerick have got complacent Tommy because John Kiley was very clear he said it almost feels like people are trying to soften us up uh, by saying such nice things about this Limerick team leading into championship but like you can draw on your own experience here when you're with Kilkenny and you were on that winning run and you went through a year of the talk of five in a row does the outside talk ever seep into the camp at any point? Ah, oh, it can it always seeps in and it probably depends on you as a player what stage you are, are at on the team or like, we were always afraid we'd be dropped, you know. Like, I always, people would ask you the whole time, were you afraid of Brian Cody? Were you afraid of him? And I always say, I was never afraid of Brian Cody, but I was afraid he dropped me. And um, that kept you, you know. Like, I know we give the interviews, and Limerick give the interviews about the next game or getting on the team. But with them two managers, John Kiley and Brian Cody, that's the way you have to think. So you can't be thinking of Leinster finals or Munster finals or All-Ireland finals because you're just worried about getting on that team and turning up a train on Tuesday night and Thursday night. That's not just media talk. That's the way it all w- was and that's the way it is. You look at Gerard Hegarty last weekend, like two times man of the match in an All-Ireland final, you know, hurler of the year, just brilliant performances, always turns up on the big day and John Kiley dropped him mm-hmm. for a big match, a big derby game that they needed to get back on track. So I don't think... Um, complacency listen it, it doesn't come in through you know players getting big egos or but it can seep in I suppose and it, the league probably for them was tough in the fact that they rotated their players well but still won so easily they played the league final against Kilkenny and you could go through a number of their players and didn't have particular games and particular good games and they still beat Kilkenny by was it 10 or 12 points so, you know, I think that all adds up and I think def- this definitely will uh, re-energise them. But, um, you know, the, the, the matches come so thick and fast. The one advantage we had was we probably two or three weeks between games. Towards Limerick only have a week or two. I know the three weeks for the next game, but probably a run of games again. So you don't have that much time to recover and have a good training match. It's just recovering week to week. And, um, you know, so listen... They'll, I, I, I don't, they'll be okay, I, I would imagine. But it's all to play for a monster, no doubt about it. For a perfect neutral, and both of us are neutrals in this watch in Munster currently, this makes it very interesting because Clare's defeat against Tipperary in the first round put them under pressure straight away. Waterford now lost two games. Limerick have lost a game. We'll see how this weekend goes. But generally, there's that assumption that probably for both Limerick and Clare, they're going to need to win their last two games to be assured of getting to a final. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Like, I would think normally there's a couple of teams playing poorly. And, you know, after the week or two, you can nearly predict who will probably be go through. And the third team might come through on basically, you know, a scoring average or things might just work in their favour. But looking at the Munster Championship so far, you would say, like, if we take, you know, if we, if we presume Limerick will go through, which they might not, but if they recover their form and go through... With the next three places, you'll say Waterford are playing poorly, but Clare, Cork and Tipperary, like they're playing fantastic hurling at the moment. 
and wouldn't it be unbelievable like if one of them goes out now listen there's only been like you can't judge Cork too much on one game yeah. I know they brought back the fighting spirit of Cork and things look good but you don't know you'll have to see them over you know three or four games Tipperary have only played one game you know they conceded was a 3-21 in that game down in Ennis so you clear whilst they've beaten Limerick they've been beaten by or they've beat um, Limerick they've been beaten by Tipperary so We'll see after a couple of games how things are going, but at the moment it just looks like dog eat dog, and there could be a good team playing well going out of the championship. Yeah, like we might get a better assessment of Cork after the tip game this coming weekend, but Cork had it so easy because of the way they started the game against Waterford at the weekend to be 12 points to two up, sitting very comfortably nine points up at half time. Waterford came back into it a little bit in the second half, but Waterford will be, I would think, Tommy, terribly disappointed with how they performed after putting in a good shift against Limerick the week before. Yeah, well, winning is a habit, Will, and so is losing. And um, the worst type of loss is when you play really well and lose. Because you can imagine, same last year when they played Limerick, same this year, played fantastically well. Their spirit was very good. Their work rate was very good. They missed a couple of chances, which, which you don't mind normally. You know, mistakes happen. And so everyone is clapping you on the back saying you were great, lads, but you lost. So you'd have terrible feeling still when you go to bed at night that you're, you're after getting beaten again. Like they're now one win in 14 championship games. It seeps into you absolutely because when you're training now, you score a point in training. You're not thinking back of when you scored a point and you won a match. You're thinking back when you scored a point and you lost a match. So it feeds into training. It feeds into your preparation. It feeds into your confidence levels. And I talked last weekend against Cork, Waterford show they were showing all the signs of a team that was just beaten, uh, taking beaten after beaten. Like, there was a time in the second half they were struggling to raise the ball, they were struggling to pass the ball, all the basics that these guys are well able to do. But just, like, their record is, is it's incredible for such a good team and players that have won minor All-Irelands, have won under, under 21 All-Irelands. These guys have produced it, like, in big games, in the knockout games, which you would say there's more pressure on them. They got to was the all Ireland semi-final and all Ireland final in, in both them years. So, like, these ca- guys can perform under pressure. But for whatever reason, these Munster Round Robins are, are just not working for them. Now, the home and away game is massive. Yeah. Like, you take it in Turles against Limerick. There was only three or 4,000 Limerick supporters or Watford supporters. Towards it was full to the, you know, to the, the stadium was full with Limerick supporters. And again, the weekend in Parky Quay, full of Cork supporters, Cork supporters are great travellers anyway, home or away, and great supporters of sport. But, you know, they outnumber probably five or six to one, we're just saying, on the, on the Sunday game. So it has to have a huge effect, not having any home games. And um, not alone do you not have a home pit, but you don't have a home crowd. You know when the game is in the melting pot? You could imagine if they were down the home straight against Limerick when the game is in the melting pot that day, if they had six or 7,000 uh, Watford supporters in Welsh Park. How, you know how they probably would have got them over the line so you know like it's tough but they're going to need something they're not gone yet Cork lost two games last year and got through so Watford are going to have to pick up the pieces go back to basics and try and just dog one over the line How much of a loss is Tyg de Berke though like it feels to me Tommy as if he was set up to kind of dictate how they move the ball out of their defence he's a very good defender himself and to see him in the recovery boot and the talk that his Achilles is going to keep him out for the entire season I, I think that's a huge blow yeah, well, it, it's a huge blow probably mentally and emotionally for his friends and his, his um, you know, his fellow players in, in the group and the manager because to see Ty, what kind of a commitment he puts into it, like by all accounts, what he'd done to come back from these two cruise ships is off the charts. I know 
players myself that probably are the same mindset as Tyg and like you're you're just behind them every step of the way. You hope things go well when they come back. And for this to happen again and again and again to Tyg the Borca, I'd say mentally and emotionally, it's heartbreaking that way to see your player and friend for things like that to happen to him. But I don't think you can make it as an excuse for the team because you know do you blame the management? They're after having three or four different managements at this stage. Do you, do you blame the players? They're after dropping players. They're after starting players. They're after doing so many different things. So I just think they just need to just get down to basics and just try and get one over the line. Like there's so many things probably going wrong for them. But I definitely think the home advantage is a huge thing. And um, I think they just need to get a bit of luck like, like, and get over the line, you know. On Sunday afternoon, you weren't at Porky Cueve. You were at Nolan Park watching the return of Henry Shefflin's Galway to Nolan Park. And this is one I was kind of watching the telly. It's kind of difficult to assess because Galway were really good at periods in the first half, particularly Brian Concanon did a remarkable job. He was like a man possessed during the first half. Then Kilkenny seemed to get a good handle on it. And you saw Owen Cody being almost equally impressive up the other end. And it felt like both teams weren't too unhappy about taking a draw at the end of it. Yeah, because um, definitely Galway will be the happier because they played Wexford already and they've got the win there. Kilkenny still have to go down to Wexford Park in their last game. And if it's if everything's on the line, like results haven't been kind to Kilkenny against Wexford in recent times, like since probably Davy Fitz took over down there. So, listen, it's good not to be beaten by your main rival in, in the province. But still, it was a game that Kilkenny probably felt they should have won because there were, you know, up five or six points at one stage coming down the home straight or I'd say three points coming into injury time. But when the, you know, the third, third official put up the sign for five minutes, you know, injury time, I think it just, it get, I even felt at the time, suddenly, you Galway still have a chance of coming back. They were playing with gale force wind. And, um, you know, if they, if he went up at two or three minutes, you'd say, listen, we'll hang on here. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll throw in the shackles, we'll, we'll, we'll toughen it out here and we'll win be, you know, three or four or two or three, it doesn't matter. But when they say there's five minutes, suddenly that gives everybody from Galway a lift and they brought on a couple of subs, you know, they brought, brought on Declan McLaughlin and Liam Collins and they were big calls, Will. Mm. They brought them on for Conor Cooney and Conor Whelan. And I would think, like, big management calls coming down the home straight against Kilkenny in Nolan Park, you need experience here, guys that have been there and done that. And they might get a score to get you over the line. Brought two young lads, fearless. And they scored the last probably two points of the game. And, um, you know, magical stuff for two young players to come on and, and get, especially get the draw for, for young McLaughlin. So give them confidence and probably will beef up training for the next couple of weeks in regards guys will think they have a chance. But I was looking at the spread of scores and, you know, you, you might have a few stats, man, on, on your road shows. And there was 24 different scorers, Will, in the game. Mm. Galway had 14 different scores, Kilkenny had 10. And I'd love to know, was that a record? But, you know, over the next maybe some one of our texters might text in, but I thought it was remarkable to have 24 different scores in, in, in one game. And Galway especially, I have noticed Galway over the last maybe couple of years, they do have a huge spread of scores, scoring one pint and two pints. You know, they rarely have lads scoring, maybe two or three lads scoring four, four or five pints from play. It's normally, you know, nine or ten scores scoring uh, one pint or two pints. But uh, the weekend, they had Con Cannon. The week before that, they had Evan Nyland. Nyland scored seven pints from play and Brian Con Cannon scored one five. And his performances like that probably 
to get your point when you shouldn't have got a point. Maybe it says a lot about modern hurling. I know Paul Murphy, your former teammate, is a massive fan of Mikey Butler. For Mikey Butler to be popping over shots from pretty much around his own 45 and putting it between the posts, that's why you're getting so many scorers at the moment. These guys have no problem walking out from cornerback and having a shot. Yeah, absolutely. And um, like you only have to go back probably 15 years ago if cornerback scored a point, he'd be man of the match. Um, I think that Ollie Canning scored one up in Salt Hill one year. Uh, against Tipperary and you know people are speaking about it for weeks after so it's definitely not a rarity anymore and um, Mikey Butler will be seen as more of a man marker than, than a scorer but that's the way it's got, the game has evolved I, I'm, remar- I'm respectfully informed when it comes to Ollie Canning that apparently he has lots of uh, forward pedigree as well he hit a crossbar when he was playing under 20 I think as a forward back in around 1999 as well so apparently Ollie was a guy who was uh, as good as the other Cannings further forward but he was eventually moved back because of his skills there I'm reliably informed uh, by James Scale on that one and he scored that with a roundy blue micro helmet as well <laughs> no doubt um, are Dublin mad to move their game on Saturday well it is moved at this stage against Wexford I, to me I can't believe they didn't want to use the confines of Parnell Park where they're very difficult to beat you only have to think back to their game against Galway in 2019 to move this to Crow Park has to give an advantage to Wexford um, I wonder did they have a say in the matter that the Michael Michal Donahue and, and, the, and the panel I, I don't know that but you would imagine if they did have a say in it I'd say the only reason they went is probably to do with a young team I was looking at their team for the first game and I didn't know a lot of their players you know you know Keane Ball and Danny but a lot of guys went on holidays you know Chris Comey and a few more or Callahan and I didn't know you know they're obviously youngsters coming through so you would imagine that And but Anthony Daly had spoken to him as well and he was very impressed. He thought these young fellas coming through are good and fast and good hurlers. So you would imagine maybe, is that the reason they're going to Crow Park? When you have young, fast players, you want them in Crow Park and not Parnell Park. If you had the old, you know, the Liam Rushes and the Chris Cummies and, and these guys playing, you'd imagine the tight confines of, of Parnell Park would, you know, would be a place that they would love and they would cherish and maybe... Um, but possibly if they had the choice, I would, I would imagine... Wexford are moving on in their years. All their main players, you have Lee Chin, you know, you have D. O'Keefe, you have Connor Mack. Like these are all the crew from the under 21s of zero, was it uh, 13, 14, and 15. So they're all hitting 29, 30, 31 at the moment. So maybe Hall is looking at speed as opposed to strength. And that's why he allowed it to be moved to Crow Park. Yeah, Dublin getting their first win of the campaign. They've won the draw so far after beating Westmead at the weekend uh, while Wexford picked up a four-point victory against Antrim. Uh, hurling here and off the ball is with thanks to Borgosh Energy. Hurling is anyone's game and we have teamed up with Borgosh Energy, sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship, to uncover stories highlighting the positive impact hurling has had on people's lives. For the full competition details, please visit borgoshenergy.ie forward slash home forward slash BGE dash GAA. Tommy, thanks a million for joining us. Have a good weekend. Rest off well, thank you. Hurling on Off The Ball with Board Gosh Energy. Proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship.